get ready because it is coming. They're not going away. And I, for one, can't wait. I'm not afraid of them. Today's guest is Preston Dennett. Preston is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, also known as MUFON. And he's the author of 26 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Preston, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about what are the recent UFO sightings that are being talked about and investigated. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of activity. I think this year there's been a little bit of an uptick. This is what we're seeing with the numbers in terms of reports coming in to MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center. These are mostly of anomalous lights, which you know don't have a whole lot of investigative value to them in terms of you know p- p- figuring out who these guys are or where they're coming from type of thing. But what it does show is that this is a continuing phenomena. Uh, I think escalating, hmm. uh, honestly, because both MUFON and New Fork receive more reports every year. It's going hmm. arithmetically up. So I do think that that's why those reports are valuable. When you say ar- arithmetically up, I mean, is it going up 100 per year, 1,000? What do you think is the increase, if you can put a number on it? Yeah, well, it's it's hard to gauge, but it's because it's a little bit uh, uneven, uh, but it's definitely gone up. Hmm. Uh, I don't have the actual number. That would be a good, nice, uh, you know, statistical analysis to do, because that would be interesting um, Mm -hmm. just to chart that out for sure. But it is going up. They've said it's going up, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's going up significantly. There are some people who think perhaps this is just because we're more aware of UFOs now. Mm-hmm. But I'm not so sure. And what I find interesting about those numbers, which you know, are 10 to 20 cases per day, mm-hmm. uh, I always ask people when I you know, interview them, did you call MUFON? Did you call New Fork? Did you call the police? Did you call anybody? Mm-hmm. Most people say no. I'm going to say one in a 20 reports they're citing officially. Mm-hmm. So if, they're, if New Fork's getting 10 or 20 a day, you can times that by 10 more easy. Mm-hmm. That's why I think this is an ongoing continuous thing. Someone right now is seeing a UFO. I can pretty much guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. If someone will ask me, well, how come we're not seeing them? I usually say, well, how often do you look up in the sky? Because I don't think, you know, generally people look up and two, maybe if you are seeing them, even if they're up there, they may be too small to see or you know, too small to notice. What would you think about that? Yeah, it's not hard to see a UFO. If you're determined, you can, you can see them. There are ways you can increase your chances for sure. Hmm. I came into this field very skeptical. I mean, I just didn't believe it for a second. And it didn't take me long to see my first UFO after I started you know, going out into the fields, look, looking where people were seeing these things. Uh, so absolutely, um, you know, I, I stati- did a statistical analysis of all my own cases. Uh, most cases were in the suburbs. Most cases involved people who were outside, mm-hmm. usually in small groups of people, uh, evenly divided between men and women. There were some you know, urban cases, some in rural areas. 
but absolutely, um, this is seen all over the planet, and it's not hard to see. If you really want to go out there, you just got to find the pulse of where sightings are happening. People were rushing to Gulf Breeze hmm. when that wave happened, yeah. or up in Hudson Valley, Pine Bush became a great viewing spot. Uh, I happen to live not far from the Santa Monica Mountains, the Topanga Canyon area, Malibu, and Santa Catalina Channel, which is also a huge hot spot. I've had a few sightings there. So there are ways. I mean, if you really want to see a UFO, get night vision goggles <laughs> um, and go out at night, and you will see stuff that is clearly not satellites if it's turning at right angles and things like this. Would you say that is the best way if the average person wants to see a UFO? I mean, just go out their front door or the back door at night with night vision goggles, or do you have any other recommendations if you really want to see one? Oh, if you really want to see one, I would – Find the hotspot in your state. Most states have an area which seems to be a little bit more leaning towards that. Uh, Arizona, it is Sedona area. Colorado, San Luis Valley. It's true. Each state does seem to have this weird hotspot. That's one way. Another really effective way is to go to one of these UFO meetings and make friends with someone who is an experiencer. This is how I've had some of my best sightings is, you know, during investigations, hooking up with people who are having a lot of activity. And darn if these things don't come down. <laughs> it's wild. So that's, that's sort of a contagion factor, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. So there's little tricks you can use. Mm-hmm. One really good trick is telepathy. And I know how this might sound to a skeptic, mm-hmm. but the fact is if you investigate these UFO cases, you find that telepathy is pretty much universal when particularly when someone's taken on board, but sometimes with sightings alone. And if you just put out that thought, you know, I'd like to see a UFO, uh, they can pick this up to a certain extent. And uh, yeah, I know how that sounds. I was part of a Stephen Greer's group, CSETI, hmm. the Center for Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, when formed. And that was all about how calling down UFOs, and we formed this little LA group, and we did it a bunch of times. We did. And uh, usually anomalous lights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing what you can see if you just go out there really and look. Just mm. buckle down and look. Devote some time and energy to it. When you say telepathy, does the person need to only think it or does he need to think it and say it out loud? Or does it, it doesn't make a difference? Uh, I don't think it would make a whole lot of difference. I think thinking it is sufficient. I think if you can put more intention, focus, and emotion behind it, if you're if you can visualize your location, this was sort of the C-SETI trick that uh, Stephen Greer used. Uh, I wrote an article about calling all UFOs, mm. and in those cases, people used lasers and lights, and Stephen Greer used those cases as sort of his his uh, mo. Uh, to call down UFOs. Mm. And I've since found a number of other cases where people absolutely call down a UFO with a powerful flashlight, perhaps, or headlights, or lasers, Mm. uh, this sort of thing. So that's another method. Mm -hmm. These are all little tricks you can use. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, I think it is consciousness and telepathy that is most effective. I find it interesting that you're saying that. And do you believe that 
the ships are probably interdimensionally traveling because that's how they're connecting in your thoughts. Somehow your thoughts are going across a dimension and then they can just pop into this one. Or do you think they're already here in a physical craft flying around up high out of sight? Yeah, I'm not sure sure those are mutually exclusive, honestly. Mm. Uh, I think that they are physically here. Um, I think we pretty much know that because they leave landing traces and they're appearing on radar and people Mm -hmm. who are taken on board are missing from their bedroom or the Mm -hmm. park bench or, you know, where they're supposed to be. So we know that something is physically happening here. People come back with scars or they're healed, Uh, but it does also appear to have an interdimensional aspect at the same time. I feel like these ETs and I, feel like that's mostly what we're dealing with here. I know there are other theories mm-hmm. from interdimensional beings to time travelers and all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. angels and demons. I think we're dealing with ETs who are physically here and have the ability to travel interdimensionally through their technology for the most part, but perhaps also mentally because mm-hmm. uh, they are mentally advanced. And uh, for that matter, you know, we're interdimensional too. Us as human beings are not a single third-dimensional being by any means. Mm. I think we know this, too, from accounts of near-death experiencers and ghosts and channeling and mediumship and uh, all of these other areas of the paranormal mm. show that we have an interdimensional aspect. There is a astral plane and other planes beyond that. And everything, you know, all life, all Everything on Earth has that interdimensional aspect. So the ETs apparently know how to do that really well. Mm. And we're just really beginning to understand it. You know much of Dr. Jacobs' work? Um, uh, Dr. Jacobs and about he, I think he's stating that a lot of people from his hypnosis are, there are beings here or hybrids, or I think he calls them hubrids, but they're here on the planet now. Do you know much about that? And if so, do you have an opinion on that? Uh, yeah. D- David Jacobs uh, is probably one of the leading researchers today, certainly. Uh, written a number of books, which are excellent books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with every you know, conclusion he makes or his current assessment in terms of how this is all going to roll out in the end. Yeah. I-, I take a little bit more of an optimistic viewpoint, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've got many cases. I got involved in this field in 1986 and really kind of buckled down in 1988. And one of my first cases had the hybrid babies in it. Hmm. And I'm like, wow. You know, and I'm like, I was stunned because this mm-hmm. is, you know, science fiction turned on end. It's real. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, difficult for, it was a difficult adjustment for me get, get, getting into this field. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when I got that case, that the hybrid baby thing wasn't well known. Uh, I would say, you know, Bud Hopkins hadn't come out with intruders yet. Uh, Missing time had just come out. So since then, I've heard it many times, and uh, I've had you know, talked to people recently. I'm in touch with them right now. I'm still working on their cases, and they are in touch with their adult hybrid sons mm. no half human uh, half et mm. came to visit them you know not too long ago actually mm. uh, so i'm not sure how long these hybrids can live on earth uh, in some cases they're more well adjusted than in others 
they seem to have you know the genetic adjustments I guess made that allow them to live here. But I do think that there's some living among us. Mm. Absolutely. Um, they absolutely. It's crazy when I looked into that whole aspect of it. Yeah. Because there are cases where people see ETs where there's just no way, no yeah. way. Like at at school, there's a case from uh, Hans Holzer, uh, who interviewed this girl by the name of uh, Shane Kurz, who was literally walking to school one day, and was about to walk in when this guy approached her from behind and. And she turns around, and it's a really strange-looking guy. He's got very light hair, very strange kind of Asian-looking eyes. His clothes were weird, though she couldn't really describe how. And he's like, you want to go into my vehicle, my white vehicle over there? Mm-hmm. And he's pointing to a field. You know, there's no road there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. And he, she says, I have to go, you know, play volleyball. And he's like, what's volleyball? And uh, so he asked sort of a few short questions. And she thought that was the end of it, you know, and she turned, you know, turned away from this creepy guy and went to walk back into school, turns around real quick and he's gone. She's like, well, that's weird. And her friends come rushing up to her. Who was that creepy guy? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. And it was a couple of days later, she saw him in the liquor store, the convenience store, or what appeared to be him. And then she had a missing time incident. And Mm -hmm. under hypnosis, she recalled being taken on board and guess who was there? that guy mm. so they're walking among us and that's just one case i've got others mm-hmm. that are equally astounding really mm. out of all the cases that you've researched is there one case that just scared the heck out of you um boy that's a good question because uh, i can't say i've run across into the cases that just horrify me you know what i mean yeah uh, in terms of like boy this person is being destroyed Mm-hmm. Uh, there's. An, I don't get accounts of like sadism or torture or anything like that. Okay, well, let's say the uh, most. But every shocking. now and then, yeah, I get. Uh, I'm sorry, I said. Um, let Let's say then the most shocking. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are definitely shocking cases. You know, there's so many cases running through my mind right now. Uh, because when people have missing time and don't remember, that's. Terribly shocking. There was one guy I interviewed. Uh, I call him Keith. He's driving down the interstate highway late at night with his friend. Uh, this is through central California. It's late at night. Mm-hmm. And the guy I interviewed, Keith, has, he's interested in UFOs. He's always wanted to see one. He really did. And had read, read quite a bit about him. His friend knew nothing about them. Keith was driving and his friend was in the passenger seat when they come upon what they thought was a helicopter um, hovering next to the road. And as they got closer, they could see it wasn't. It had colored lights, had a weird fog around it. They thought, is this a crop duster? It's clearly not. It's staying in one place. And as they drove up next to it, um, he realized it was a UFO. Uh, It had weird swirling lights all over the, lots of fog. It didn't look quite normal. And he said he was horrified. He said suddenly his thoughts about like hey let's stop and knock down on the door mm. turned 180 degrees <laughs> he felt like this thing was out to get him mm. and he was nothing more than a bug to it and uh as they're driving up right up next to it this beam of light comes out and it's playing across the field towards him he got a cold chill he says this thing is you know gonna hit our car and they, they couldn't avoid it sure enough hits their car 
they black out for a second or have a shift. Next thing they know, they're further along the road, and he's not driving anymore. His friend is, which he would never in a million years allow because he he won't ride in a car. He has to drive. Mm. That's a phobia of his or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And they couldn't speak either. They they tried to talk about it, and all that came out was gibberish. Uh, That's another really weird detail I hear that makes me wonder. Wow. And he never did recall either. Had some memories of shuffling around, getting out of the car. Um, couldn't remember what happened. But after it, after this experience, he quit his job, left his girlfriend, moved to Hawaii, bought a bunch of supplies, and started stocking a cave filled with food. Uh, so that I find interesting because that is the number one message I get from people who are taken on board, is warnings of upcoming disaster of some kind. Hmm. That's interesting. All right. So you have a new book. I don't know if it's out yet or not, but you have a, a new book, Onboard UFO Encounters, I believe. Is that the title of it? Yeah. Yeah. It is out. It came right. out this year. All right. So what kind of ETs are people seeing? Mostly greys. Mostly Honestly, grays. it's at least 50%. That's a big umbrella because greys mm-hmm. do have a variation. We have, you know, the taller grays, which are five and a half feet to say four feet, which are usually described as emotional, you know, not necessarily like just cold Hmm. and emotionless sometimes, but as often as not, no, they're just very much like us, Hmm. uh, but have the typical description of a gray. We've heard a thousand times. Right. And of course, much shorter ones, which do seem to be more robotic and emotionless. And perhaps, I think, perhaps are... (laughs) Androids, maybe, or something like that. I don't want to call them robots, but you know what I mean, biological robots. Mm-hmm. I wonder about that. But some people, you know, this, don't they don't describe gray skin, you know, or dark eyes. They'll describe your typical gray, but it's tan, and it's got lighter eyes. So there's a whole lot of variation that really makes me wonder about that. But beyond grays, there's just... It's weird. We have like three, I would say three main types. Okay. Grays, praying mantis. You know, the praying mantis is fairly common. And those can get really chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, six feet to, uh, you know, eight feet, nine feet in height. And mm. some much taller, like, wow. like 15 feet. And, and one guy, a Navy medic I talked to, oh, man. And uh, so that's a fairly common type. Human looking. Mm-hmm. is another type often called nordic mm-hmm. i think human looking is probably more accurate because they're not all nordic looking uh one guy he, he said noah but the guy looked iranian almost or middle eastern mm-hmm. uh, but usually described as very beautiful kind of genetically perfect muscular uh handsome or pretty depending on sex and uh tall six feet six and a half feet so that's another very common type and beyond that, this is what, what bothers me. And I don't even know what to think of this. Is There's that 25% or so that's just a catch-all category. I mean, you name it. It's almost always humanoid. Pretty much, gosh, every case I've gotten is a humanoid. Okay. But they can be short, hairy dwarves, uh, light beings perhaps glowing a little bit, or uh, real tall, tall white type thing. Uh, 
many tall humanoids that aren't quite human looking, mm-hmm. uh, but just a catch all and a few robotic robotic entities here and there. Mm-hmm. But those are the main categories that I run into. Oh, reptilian. I should throw those in there. Honestly, I don't get a lot of them, just a handful compared to the hundreds of grays and uh, the other types. Yeah, I find it fascinating that ETs are like, you know, bug-like or reptile-like. You know, it's just it's something that you wouldn't think of something with, you know, superior intelligence would have that type of body. Yeah, I should. That's what kept me out of UFO research, honestly, for years and years. I'm like, no, they don't, to Star Trek, this is just like Star Trek. I don't believe it for a second. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of stuck with these stories. And the praying mantis one trips me up because if you see a praying mantis and peop, you know, the witnesses describe, yeah, it looks very much like that. And why you know, that would be the one when we don't have you know, intelligent elephant aliens mm-hmm. or horse-like aliens. There's some cat-like, cat turns up sometimes, not so much the hair, but the shape of the face. Uh, there are a couple of dog-like, you know, I have heard other animals, but it's super rare. The, bu- the bug-like and the ant-like is, mm-hmm. seems to be far more common, particularly praying mantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I sure do wonder about that. Mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, why that animal on earth and there are so, so many more. I think you said in the beginning that when you first got into UFO research, you were skeptical. And if you were, what changed your mind? What incident happened that made you turn from a skeptic to a believer? You know, I wish that Band-Aid had come off in one fell swoop, but it didn't. Mm. It was a series of events which were really painful. And I have, you know, real sympathy for someone who doesn't believe in UFOs and suddenly sees one. Okay. Because that has got to be shocking. And that's not what happened with me. I heard a report on the news. And I honestly didn't believe it. This is a real famous sighting in Alaska, 1986, November. And this UFO followed this plane for an hour. It actually tried to shake it off by requesting a course change, which, which was granted. And still couldn't shake this UFO. It, you know, it was tracked on radar as well. Great case. On the news, they didn't say any of this. It was all very tongue-in-cheek, very brief, and they laughed nervously and moved on. But I was interested. I found it a little interesting because I felt, felt like this pilot, I, I really wondered, could he be lying? <laughs> I thought he was, or hallucinating, honestly. Or I just couldn't make sense of it. And I decided to ask a few people or just talk about it in casual conversation. And my brother saw a UFO, it turned out, years earlier. Uh, I didn't believe him. I don't think anyone in our family really did. I found out I was wrong. Some of my family members were keeping secrets. Mm. Some of my friends were too. And some of my coworkers. People I'd loved and trusted for years and years and years were lying to me. Mm. And I was mad not so much my brother because he did try to say it you know but he described how he and his friends had chased a ufo down the street actually not far from where i live now 
And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, it was metallic. It had lights on it, a dome. We chased in our car. There were other people chasing it. He's like, talk to Greg, if you don't believe me. Talk to Phil. They were there. And I knew them. They were my brother's friends. And so I called them up. I did. And they're like, yeah, oh, my God. And so it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, people at work, I couldn't believe it. One had had missing time. One had an conscious abduction by gray ETs. I'm like, mm. what the heck? Another, yeah, another had another friend had missing time. Another friend who had a close-up sighting. Mm. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? You know, this was, they're like, well, you wouldn't have believed me, is what they told me. And I, they're probably right. Mm. Yeah, I was mad. I, 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 I was mad at all my teachers <laughs> in school because this was never taught in school and it really should have been. And that mm-hmm. was one of the things that kept me skeptical because I'm like, I would have know, I would know about this. It would have been taught in schools. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? I was so naive. Mm-hmm. I had no idea there was a cover up. I really didn't. And to find that out was also bad news. This was a year's, took a couple years. I bought all the books. That's the first thing that I did. I'm like, all right, I'm going to disprove you guys and and show you it's swamp gas because that I didn't know that UFOs were swamp gas. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. This subject had been studied for decades. There's mountains of evidence. If you haven't, if you don't believe in UFOs, you haven't done your homework. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seriously. And if, I don't see how anyone can objectively examine the evidence and not come away convinced. And that mainstream society is still waffling and hemming and hawing and doing all this hand-wringing. And I don't understand it. Uh, it Well, I guess I do, because it was difficult to believe in in at first. But if you allow yourself to examine the evidence, which isn't easy if you're a skeptic, uh, yeah, I'm convinced that anyone would see that this is a real phenomenon. How did you? We've react? got the proof right now. We do. How did you react the uh, very first time you saw one? Uh, well, I was super excited and a little mad because it was ambiguous, mm. and that seems to be a, a pattern that in some of my sightings and like, could it have been something else? There was a ufo group and went to go see down santa monica and the speaker was a contactee andy reese was his name and he described his sightings and said after the meeting i'll call down a ufo we'll try i'm like wow okay let's do that mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of people in this meeting you know 50 maybe 100 i don't know it was a while back but there was it was a packed room and after the meeting, he's like, all right, anyone who wants to go come out and we'll try and call one down. Most people went home. I was really shocked. I hmm. thought, okay, if this guy says he can call down UFOs, wouldn't you want to see one? Yeah. But there was a, right? There was a group of about 20 people, 15 maybe, who showed up. And we got in a circle kind of, and he's there in the park next to the community center where the, he had spoken. This is downtown Santa Monica. I'm looking up in the sky. You can't see a single star too much light pollution. I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. There's you know, pretty much pretty busy streets on all four sides. Mm. It's a suburban area, but still there's cars driving by and he's like, all right, let's meditate for a second. Let's all hold hands. And I'm like, wait a second. This is not what I signed up for. Uh-huh. I'm still pretty skeptical and scientifically minded. Nope. And, uh, 
I'm like, fine, let's do this. I'll, 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 I'll fine. And so we just meditate for a minute, not long. And he's like, okay, that's, that's enough. They're coming in. And he points to the sky and says, watch right there. And it took maybe 15 seconds. He said, watch right there a couple of times. And this darn bright shooting star <laughs> comes shooting down. Mm. And I'm like, wow, you know, that looked like a shooting star. But I knew there wasn't a uh, meteor shower at that time. And even if there was, you can't just point to the sky and say, boom, like that guy did. He did it. And, that, and then I got mad because I'm like, well, was that a UFO? I can't really say. Mm-hmm. But my first one, that was, I know for sure a UFO. My reaction still shocks me to this day. And I think something may have happened because uh, it was weird. It was 1990, let's see, 93 probably. It could have been 92, but I don't think so. It's either J- July of 92 or 93, late mm-hmm. July. And I'm still having a hard time with this subject. You know, I am talking over at my brother's house and my sister-in-law late into the night, <laughs> uh, talking about UFOs. And uh, finally, I'm like, all right, it's late. It's time to leave. It's like 11 o'clock after work the next day. And I'm driving down this little windy road in Woodland Hills. Tosca is the name of the road. It's You can't drive fast on it. There's this hairpin corner that you really have to go like, three miles per hour around and then you hit Canoga, which is sort of the main street. And I'm coming around this hairpin corner and I see what I think is a bird flying down from the sky. And I can see instantly it's not a bird. This is at night. And this is a ball of light. And I'm like, Whoa. And it comes right to my windshield in about a second, maybe two, two or three came, came swooping down. And it was about the size of a, a golf ball, maybe mm. a little bit bigger, uh, but not like a softball or anything or a tennis ball. It was smaller. could be a tennis ball, I suppose, but definitely no bigger than that. Soft white. And I'm like, oh, you know, wow. Yeah. This thing stops and, and goes to the right and then to the left and to the right. Maybe one more time and goes over my hood, dips down towards almost street level and goes straight up. And I watch it disappear through the hole in the trees, the canopy of the trees. So this wasn't a reflection, obviously. I mean, this was something I had never seen before, and I can't explain. And I don't remember what happened after that. I should, knowing me, I would have turned around. I was just a few minutes from my uh, brother's house. I don't remember turning around. I don't remember driving home, and I don't remember the incident for several months until one day I'm like, wait a second. You know, kind of kept looking at the edge of my consciousness. Like, you know, but you don't know. It's very hard to describe. I've certainly talked to witnesses about this. I'm like, how could you have forgotten a UFO sighting? Are you crazy? But I get it. I get it because that happened to me. Hmm. And uh, so that was my first real good knock your socks off type of sighting for me mm. that I, I know something's going on. Mm. And I felt like it came because I was like beaming out these thoughts about UFOs super strong. I mean, I was going, I was ready to uh, see one for sure. I wanted mm. to find out if these were real. Did you ever consider getting hypnotized to see if you can recall any other 
parts of that event? Not until recently, because it's taken me this long to get to there. <laughs> uh, because I would, I would tell people, oh, yeah, I've seen this UFO, you know, this ball of light that came up to my car, but it never occurred to me for years and years that I didn't remember driving home. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's, you know, it, it did occur to me that I had, it, it's, it slipped my consciousness for a while. But, you know, purposely suppressed by the ETs. I'm just, you know, I'm like, hey, you know what? That was a, that could very well be a missing time incident. Yeah. I should have gone home and wrote that down. I mean, it makes no sense to me. I should have been lying there in bed going over like, wow, wow. Because that's what I usually do when I see one. I'm like, whoa, I just saw one and it's amazing. Hmm. And I write it down and I'm going over and over and over it, you know. And that I didn't do. So I, I have considered it and I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not quite ready to go there. I trust hypnosis for sure. Uh I've seen it done. Uh, I know it's effective. And I know it is a valid tool to accurately recall suppressed memories in a missing time incident. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know the police have used it successfully and therapists for PTSD victims, whether it's war or child abuse. Do you ever see that show Mythbusters? Uh, I may have heard of it. I've never watched it. Yeah, they just kind of test various urban myth theories, and they tested regressive hypnosis once. Hmm. I'm like, I got to watch this and uh, see if it works, or is, or can you do false memory type thing, hmm. uh, which is sort of the argument with UFOs. And they staged an incident for their crew without telling them to have someone kind of run into the office and make a ruckus, and then you know cause trouble and then run out. And they had everyone write down what they think just happened, what they recall, what they saw. And they put each one of them under regressive hypnosis. And their recall under regressive hypnosis was extraordinary. They could got the eye color, the hair color, the tattoos, Hmm. the clothes, everything that they could not consciously recall. Almost none of them had full recall under hypnosis. They did. So we know it works. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's a can of worms. You know, some people regret it. I've talked to people who've done this and they're like, well, you know, I yeah, I paid my 200 bucks and I got my alien abduction story. And it kind of fits the mold. And they wonder if it's what they read. I've had a few people say that. And others are like, oh, no, you know, I, I didn't even go to the missing time incident I thought I was going to. Turned out I had four others. And so they're, mm. then they're on this pathway of like, my life is not what I thought it was. I've had all these missing time incidents and it can be very traumatic. Hmm, that's interesting. But, but I, I would give them the opportunity. I think I probably would do it now. Yeah. Hmm. Cause now I'm interested. <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested. I'm like, huh, have I been on board a UFO? Mm-hmm. And I do feel like, I do feel like they know about me. Mm-hmm. I really do. And not just because of that, where they came down and targeted me, but I just, I was on the way to see Stephen Gurr once and you know, a couple of other researchers in a private meeting on the freeway, and I thought I saw the same darn thing. This one was so fast, I'm going to leave a little bit of wiggle room for doubt, but this ball of light came down in front of my windshield, and I'm looking at it going, is that a reflection? No, no, it's not, and then darted up, and I saw it go up. Like, okay, but it was, I mean, I had cars on either side of me. <laughs> no, it's L.A. traffic. Yeah. So that was weird. And yeah. uh, I think that other times I've been in a tra- One guy, time I was interviewing this witness, 
he had some pretty harrowing encounters with greys that he did not like. And he calls me up the next day. He's like, oh, well, while we were on the phone, my, there, a UFO came down right in my front yard. My son saw it and came up to me after I hung up. So they were there hovering over his house while we're on the phone. What's up with that? That's weird. And other things like that make me think they know all about me. Hmm. It's in my family, for sure. I mean, my several family members have seen UFOs close up. Well, it makes sense, you know, that if they're, they may be contacting the entire family. Yeah, they track families. I'm yeah. not sure, you know, genetically. No one in my family has reported any onboard experience. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be the first. Uh-huh. You never know. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly my grandparents haven't. And usually that's what we see with mm-hmm. people who are having repeated experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes with their parents and their grandparents and even older or, or their children as well. Uh, hmm. Definitely a genetic component, component here. Mm. Well, let's get back to your book and about people being taken on board of UFOs. What are they describing what the UFO looks like on the inside? Oh, it's very interesting because it's, the descriptions are very consistent. I think some of this is well-known within the field, and mm. some of it probably isn't as well-known. Uh, but what is very consistent is how these craft are illuminated, the interior. There's no light, no, no light source, no lamp. It's just as if, it's not even as if the walls are glowing. It's as if there's an ambient glow on the interior, which is very hard for the witnesses to describe. And boy, I love it when I've got a witness who has never read a UFO book. As you know, a lot of them haven't because they're sort of repulsed by the subject right. in some cases, certainly. And that, to hear them trying to describe this feature that they don't know about is you know, hilarious in, uh, in a way, <laughs> but also really illuminating uh, because they don't, it's, it's corroboration, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's so consistent. It's also very consistent is rounded walls. Mm. People never describe corners on a UFO. They don't describe rooms like we construct them here. And that is another thing I think that's pretty well known, but still kind of interesting. Uh, what's perhaps not as well known is the central column. That's something I hear a lot. Um, these crafts are often described as being fairly large, like a house, okay. but having a central column, uh, which is ver- very consistently described, just sort of this round pillar in the middle. So that's interesting to me. People describe sort of the texture of the air in the same way. It's sort of silky or thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they'll describe examination tables, uh, which sometimes float or sometimes are one with the wall, no seams, and usually meld with the body. Sort of the body can dip into it a little bit. Hmm. But a number of people described not tables, but dentist chairs. Wow. And that always, yeah, that always makes me, you know, piques my interest because I don't think that's super well known either. Uh, most people think think if they're going to be abducted, they're going to be laid out on a table. Yeah. Well, no, you're more likely to be put in this chair and have a little helmet put over you and all this stuff, uh, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. I, you know, most yeah. people are going to think they're going to get probed, not dental work. 
Yeah, yeah. There are, are some probe cases and there are some dental work cases, by the way. Uh, most people are just going to be physically examined, perhaps. Uh, and beyond, that's what most people would experience. A little, how do you do? Don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. You know, you might not remember this type of thing, and that's it. Uh, but beyond that, when someone does have a more extensive experience, and that's what I love about this latest book, because these people all, by and large, had much more extensive experiences. Uh, they're taken into other rooms. Do you have any reports of people who went on board and never returned? I do. Um, I know of some in the literature. It's not super common. And I do have one myself, which is kind of um, chilling in a way, but also encouraging. Uh, you know, there are some famous cases, Frederick Valentich off of uh, Australia that saw UFO we never saw him again. Hmm. And uh, uh, Felix Mankla was vectored to a UFO over Lake Superior by the Air Force. They saw his plane on radar and the UFO. Two blips merged, and that UFO took off. Felix Mankla has never been seen again. And there are a number of cases like this where we can directly tie disappearances to a UFO. I know of a case from Leonard Stringfield in New Mexico where the whole family saw the father drive up and a UFO sucked him and his pickup truck right up. They never saw him again. Wow. I know of another case. Yeah, I know another case in Hawaii. I looked into this because I had my own case. I'm like, wow, okay, this does happen. Mm -hmm. What happened in the case I interviewed, you know, I was working at the Renaissance Fair for a year, just for fun in the summer. Hmm. My sister worked there for years and years. She's like, you got to try it. And there was a guy there, Tony, who I interviewed. He's like, Super excited to find out I was a UFO researcher because he had this story he wanted to tell me, which he swore up and down was a true story. And uh, it, this, that's this story. He was out with his friends. There was a group of you know, six or seven friends. They were teenagers, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, around that age. And they would all go up to one of their cabins in the high desert, like around Palmdale, Palm, mm -hmm. you know, that area, California. And uh, they did this periodically on weekends and went up there one weekend. And one guy, Paul, decides he's going to take a walk and doesn't come back. People are starting to get really worried and about to send out a search party. It's been three hours. It's late at night. They're getting worried. And he shows up super excited. He's like, guys, you're not going to believe it. I saw a UFO landed with occupants. And they're like, shut up, shut up. You're lying. He's like, no, for real, for real. Hmm. And Tony, the guy I interviewed, had had a number of paranormal experiences. He knew about UFOs. He believed in them, at least. And so he's like, tell me, tell me, Paul, what happened? And so Paul describes coming upon this landed UFO. And uh, there was these human-looking, mostly human. They were bald, had large eyes, white jumpsuits, standing around. And they invited him on board. It was a small craft, very clean inside, all white. And uh, they said that they were studying this area, said that they were par parked at the base of this kind of cliff right there. And uh, it, they said, if you'd like to come with us, you know, we, we'll take you. And Paul, that, that is his real name. I do know his last name. Mm -hmm. uh, said, no, I, I don't think I'm ready to do that. Thank you. You know, they were very nice and very benevolent. 
And it was a short meeting. And they said, well, if you change your mind, we're coming back here on this day next year. So uh, if you want, we will be here. So this is the story he tells. Mm -hmm. And and some of the guys don't believe him. Some do. Tony can tell the guys telling the truth because Paul's not the jokey type. And uh, long story short, they go home. A year rolls by and Paul starts giving away his stuff. And hmm. his friends are freaking out. And they're like, are you going out there? And he's yeah, I think I might. And he's like, really? You're going to go on board? And he's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go on board, but I, I'll see if they come. And uh, that's what he did. Drove off and didn't come back. And so to- Tony, Paul's friends, and actually Paul's family too, drive up there and find uh, Paul's car at you know at the cabin area with the keys in it uh but paul was not there and they never did find him called the police missing persons case the whole deal so i have to wonder where's paul uh right now but uh i think he went voluntarily if that means anything Mm -hmm. wow that's a great story crazy right right so besides the sightings that you have personally seen, what physical proof have you seen, if any? Um, I'd say that there's varying levels of it. Um, I have seen marks on people's bodies, which is a form of proof. Certainly, we call it medical evidence. Hmm. And uh, one guy I investigated actually had a healing of cancer. He sent me his medical records. So that's pretty darn good proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a number of cases like that. Hmm. Uh, probably the one, you know, a few landing trace cases, which, you know, you go up there and like, eh. <laughs> not so sure. Um, some implant cases, though. Mm-hmm. And those are very interesting. Mm-hmm. There was one case on Coronado Island, uh, which Yvonne Smith initially uncovered. But uh, I wrote a, co-wrote a book with one of the witnesses and interviewed a number of the witnesses involved in this incident which took place in 1994, Coronado Island, San Diego. It's a military island. That's where the Navy SEALs are. It's a tourist island. Lots of police. It's heavily populated. It's the least likely place you'd expect to have an abduction. And six people in one hotel room reported it on the same night and apparently were implanted. And one of them had an implant removed by Dr. Roger Lear. Hmm. Wow. So that, that's good evidence. And yeah, it had all kinds of unusual properties. Mm. And another current case I'm working on right now, actually, uh, which is still unfolding. All cases kind of are always unfolding, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, haven't, I haven't written about this case yet. I've talked about it a few times with a mother from the Midwest and her son uh, who went to the dentist the son did. You know, she takes him to the dentist every other year for x-rays and so on. And these x-rays showed him a marble under his back molar, a round object. Wow. Huge. I mean, big. bigger, About as big as his tooth. That's odd. And she's like, what do you think this is? Yeah. She's like, what do you think this is? What do you think this is? She had been on a long journey and finally contacted me. And I'm like, well, heck, you know, that looks like an, an implant, you know, an alien implant. And she denied having, you know, shot a BB 
you know, the son had no trauma that he knew of. I sent it off to a couple of doctors and they're like, yeah, that's a foreign body. Did he shoot himself in the mouth with a BB? Hmm. I'm like, well, no, he didn't. Neither the son, (laughs) no, both the son and the mother deny that. There's no entry wound and the tooth is fine. If that had happened, it would have, you know, hurt. And uh, it's much bigger than a BB. That's another thing I pointed out. I'm like, no, how could that be a BB? Mm -hmm. That thing is a marble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah i've got the x-rays of that that's pretty good proof yeah I'd something like to see, i'd like to see that many years ago probably over 20 years ago i just happened to go to a local mind science foundation and i didn't really know much of him at all i'm not even sure why i went it just may have seemed interesting to me but whitley streber was there And I don't know if you know about his implant in his ear. And I just said, I bought a book and I was having him sign it, autograph the the book. And while I was there, I just said, hey, I'm a chiropractor. And would you mind me palpating or feeling your ear? I'd like to really feel that implant. And surprisingly enough, he said, sure, go ahead. And I haven't spoken to him since. He probably wouldn't want me telling the story because then everybody's going to, People are going to go up to him and say, hey, can I feel the implant <laughs> in your ear? You know, But I did feel it, and it felt like a hard rock inside of his ear. Obviously, I didn't linger and really try to feel what it felt like, but I did feel the rock. So that was very interesting. And I think I heard him talk about that he was going to have it cut out, but as they were going to cut it out, it started moving on its own. And so he they... Or he just decided to leave it there. Yeah, that's weird. That does turn up in cases, mm-hmm. uh, which actually turned up in the case I worked on too. They had a series of three x-rays and the middle x-ray was gone. It disappeared mm-hmm. in the space of literally seconds. Mm-hmm. That should be impossible as well. Mm-hmm. But these things can move or they can move them. Mm-hmm. I think they're much more common than people realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of people you know, that I put together in this book, there's 15 cases think about five have evidence of implants or, or more. Let's see, there's Ramon. He went to the doctor and they're like, well, what, what's this in your uh, head here? Below your jaw. You know, not far from where this other guy ha- had it. It says, looks like you have a foreign body. Um, another lady I talked to, she had a ring in her lung. The doctors were completely freaked out about that. Uh, you know, not like a a ring on your finger this is sort of metal ring mm-hmm. it's very odd mm-hmm. one guy he went to the doctor for you know he was having some health problems the doctor's like well you have you know sinus what's this up in your sinuses <laughs> you look like you have a thing here so these turn up in mris mm-hmm. and doctors call them foreign bodies and they don't know what they are and it's really common in the abductee population mm, that's interesting Let me catch a question here. Do you think if aliens are aware of the wars and massacres on the earth, so are they aware of them? And if yes, why don't they get involved? I wish they would. I'm ready to obey our alien overlords. (laughs) I think they could do a better job than we we are. Probably. Uh, But uh, but no, they're not going to do that. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. There does seem to be this, you know, that Star Trek rule of non-interference. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a certain extent, we are quarantined. So each species is given free will and has to sort of evolve at their own pace. 
uh, I think there's one case I'll speak to that, you know, I'll, uh, and one case I know of that speaks to that, that I interviewed this couple who were in Sedona and had missing time and under hypnosis recalled being invited on board mm-hmm. and asked the ETs about that. And the ETs said, oh, well, we can only help you so much. It's up to you to solve your own problems. They are absolutely aware of our warlike ways. This is one of their messages. Um, I think it turns up in one out of every 10 cases, they warn against warlike ways and our aggression. They're very concerned about it. And I think trying don't understand it and are trying to wake us up to it as best as they can. Uh, but without taking, you know, they're not going to take over. There was one guy who was abducted in Japan. He had the same thing. The ETs told him, Oh, no, we're not allowed to uh, reveal ourselves publicly, but we can only help people on a limited basis to those that we can help. So I think they are trying to help people, but are not going to take over uh, because it wouldn't solve any problems. Hmm. We would just, you know, continue to hurt ourselves. This is up to us to learn how to to solve our own problems, you you know, socially, spiritually medically you know with our, our diplomatically uh but definitely one of their main concerns i wish i wish they would you know i, th- I think there is a limited amount of intervention i really do yeah uh but i'm not sure they're going to save us from you know a new nu- a, a nuclear holocaust i hope so but yeah. where were they with fukushima you know yeah. where where were they with chernobyl uh there was an incident you know three mile island yeah. Pennsylvania, a nuclear accident. Someone reported to MUFON seeing a UFO right over it. I wonder about that. And there were some UFO reports associated with Fukushima. So I think they're aware of all of this stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, there was one case I interviewed, which case is in the, in the book. A lady named Pat from Florida was involved in a major intervention of a disaster. It was a very interesting case. She's had a you know, experiences her whole life in one day in 1985, wakes up, you know, not on board a UFO is what usually happens, you know, in the middle of the night. She, she looks around her, it's day or morning, and she's in a, another country, it looks like, Mexico or Peru, perhaps, or a South American country. She's thinking, because she can see this village. And there's this UFO right next to her, and there's she's standing next to this being, a human-looking alien but she sees grays as well there's another ufo they're both massive big as like small buildings Mm. and they go into this village and collect people and she doesn't know why she did it you know she had the feeling it was for some sort of upcoming disaster but Mm. she obeyed like a sheep you know all no one asked any questions it was very strange they just collected these people and they followed like sheep into these ufos and she says we've collected probably a thousand people in each object, maybe more. And suddenly, you know, the objects lifted up, you know, the, the ramps came up and they had all the people they were going to collect apparently. And this explosion goes off in the distance. It's a volcano and this pyroclastic cl- cloud sweeps through the, the uh, town, this wave of mud, debris, trees, houses, bodies, ice. She said it was horrific. Hmm. It's scared the living daylights out of her. These UFOs came down, picked up a few more people. And the next thing she knows, she's being set back down in her home and 
being put to bed and she wakes up the next morning and calls her friend and says, you're not going to believe what this UFO, this is a doozy. This is one of my weirdest UFO dreams yet. She kind of called them dreams, even though she knew there wasn't, they weren't, she would have missing time and Mm -hmm. there were other witnesses, but she just called them UFO dreams Mm -hmm. and she starts describing what happened. And her friend's like, Oh my God, you know, hang up the phone, turn on the TV Mm -hmm. quick. So Pat hangs up the phone, turns on the TV, turned up the Nevada Del Ruiz volcano had just exploded in Colombia and buried the town of Armero, uh, which there, you know, had 23,000 people in it lost their lives. Wow. Uh, and buried under 20, 30, 40 feet of mud. We'll never see them again, but I think 2000, 3000 were saved. Mm-hmm. ETs intervened and took them. Uh, that's what Pat remembers. She went to the therapist over it. She was like really upset by all the tragedy. And then mm-hmm. to see it on TV and have that kind of confirmation mm-hmm. really shook her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a hard time with it. But mm-hmm. an amazing case. That's got to be one of the weirdest cases. Yeah. What, in your opinion, is the alien agenda? I think there's multiple alien agendas. I think they're very much like us. Their behavior falls under the same umbrella as human behavior. They're doing things we would do if we were visiting an alien planet for the most part. One major agenda for sure is the the hybrid babies. And I don't think that's to take over the planet or to reseed us as make us all hybrids. Maybe it is to a certain extent because there does seem to be genetic intervention in humanity's line of uh, ancestry. It's very strange when you look at it in terms of ancient writings and missing links and, you know, is it, you know, following our genetic pathway throughout history is very interesting and speaks towards possible extraterrestrial intervention, mm-hmm. which could obviously be related to this hybrid baby thing. But ultimately mm-hmm. I think it's mostly Gray's doing it to revitalize their race. That's the story we hear from multiple independent cases who don't know each other yeah. tell the same story, some variation of an early disaster that caused genetic damage. The greys had to flee, go through space, cause more genetic damage, and they ended up losing the ability to reproduce and a lot of their emotions and are now trying to get that back. Hmm. So that same story you know, to its basic bones turns up repeatedly. I find it very convincing. So that's a major agenda for sure. They also seem to be very interested in all things human, all things earth, because the most common message people get is, like I said, warnings, whether it's hurricanes or uh, nuclear proliferation. That's huge. I don't care what type of alien it is, really grays, human looking, praying mantis. They all are worried about our use of nuclear power and pollution, and this sort of thing. So there is an agenda to save our planet from our own you know, destruction of it. That's for sure a major agenda. I mean, we saw that in the Rua Zimbabwe case where the UFO landed next to a school and told the children the same darn message. Stop chopping down your forests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're polluting the air. Uh, beyond that, I would say another agenda is getting us off fossil fuels and into sort of free energy or clean energy mm-hmm. because people over and this is so interesting. People are taken over and over again to the engine room 
and shown how it works. And thirdly, another strong agenda is spiritual. People are taught how to do hands-on healing. That, a lot of cases of that, people coming back feeling like they can do Reiki or they want to become doctors. Um, a lot of people start having out-of-body experiences or can do channeling or psychic reading or dowsing. I even have a case of that, something along those lines. So these are all agendas for sure, I think, which I think speak towards who these guys are, why they're here, and uh, why I'm not afraid of UFOs. Mm-hmm. I think for the most part, these guys are our friends. Yeah. Not all of them. You know, there are some really nasty negative cases. Mm-hmm. But uh, heal- healing is absolutely a major agenda. Mm-hmm. I've documented 300 cases. Wow. Healing humanity is for sure, I can say this pretty conclusively, one of their agendas. Uh, most people don't report their miraculous healings. Spontaneous healings are you know, not common in the medical literature, but they are consistent. And doctors don't know what to make of them. And the fact that I've got like 300 cases, I think there's probably 100 times more than that. Because again, most people don't report their cases, especially if it's super bizarre. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have an injury perhaps or a traumatic abduction, you're more likely to seek help. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the ET fixed your back pain or took your headache away or fixed your cut finger, who's going to believe that? <laughs> That happened to a police officer. It's a very well-documented case. Lots of agendas, mostly positive. Preston, when you have a case, does the MUFON assign you cases to investigate or do people contact you directly? And if they do contact you directly, how do they contact you? Uh, Well, I still support MUFON. I'm still a member. I did take their field investigator test. I did really well, even though it was really hard. Hmm. Uh, it's got a lot of questions on photography and uh, weather and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't an easy test. Mm-hmm. I'm not like super active in terms of, you know, getting referred cases or referring cases to them. I'm more independent mm-hmm. uh, these days. Uh, but yeah, still support them, speak at their meetings. And uh, I think they're, they're the best thing we got going in terms of, you know, a citizens UFO group right now. Mm-hmm. Lots of really good people in MUFON. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people who I interview are referred often through weird coincidence. You know, someone will come at the office where I work. I got a lot of cases like that through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, often when I speak at conventions, someone will come up to me afterwards or on a radio show or podcast like this. Sometimes people mm-hmm. uh, hear me that way. Um, other times through my website or perhaps my books or articles or at the post office. So, I mean, weird case at the bank or something. I'm like I look down, am I wearing a UFO shirt? No. Weird mm. coincidences like that happen every now and then. Oh, wow. Uh, re- a number of referrals. Um, people like know about me and they have a friend who has a, a case. Initially, it was just family, friends, and coworkers. And I started the network from there. So now it's been 35 years. I'm getting a flood of cases. Say so the best way to contact me if someone you know has a question or a comment or a story they'd like to share, or, you know, or interested in this, is through my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, if you Google my name, it should take you there. Mm-hmm. But it's PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Okay. And all my books are there, excerpts, and uh, yeah, I. Always interested in hearing from people who've mm-hmm. got new cases because this is, I'm not sure it's still fair to call a mystery, 
the, you know, UFOs are not really a mystery. We know what they are, I think. Maybe they're not all UFOs. Maybe some are interdimensional or not aliens as we would think of them. And I think angels are probably real too. And the demons, I don't think that's what we're talking about here though. I really don't. Uh, so yeah, I, I love this doing this research. I think it's really uh, cool. I can't wait to see how this all rolls out. <laughs> do you also sell your books on Amazon or can they only get them through your website? Uh, no, you can get them on Amazon. That's probably the best way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- or through my website uh, or other online retailers or even bookstores if you can find one. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have any bookstores near my house anymore. I used to love going to these bookstores. Oh, They've all just awesome. died out. You mean like Barnes and Nobles and stuff? You could find your books there? Yeah. yeah. Oh. You should, or, and if you can't, they, they'll, they'll order them for you. Oh, that must be pretty awesome. Uh, to like but, uh, I was saying that must be pretty awesome they, to like walk in a Barnes and Nobles and go to this, you know, I don't know what section it would be in, but to go there and pick up your book and, hey, here's my book. Yeah, the first time I cried. Are you kidding? Wow. Like, wow, I did it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because I have to tell you, some it wasn't easy at first. I, mm. I did UFO research for 10 years before I wrote my first book. Mm. I'd written a number of articles and they were getting published and I started getting the covers of the magazines. I'm like, wow, mm. this is amazing. And, uh, you know, had some trouble, like what, probably one of my most successful books, the Topanga Canyon uh, UFO incident. Mm-hmm. God, is that the title? UFOs over Topanga Canyon. Mm-hmm. I sent that out 40 times <laughs> to different publishers uh-huh. before I found Llewellyn uh-huh. and they took it. And it did ended up doing really well. well that's amazing. Obviously. So do you have any other projects that you're working on right now that you want people to know about, like other books or anything else? Oh, yeah, always. Yeah, I'm not giving up until the Roswell Craft is in a museum. <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just put out another book, UFOs at the Drive-In. Oh, wow. Which is a hundred, so weird, a hundred true cases of UFOs hovering, hovering right next to the Drive-In screen. And putting on a show. It's wild. I don't think anyone's heard of this, but it's absolutely true and very bizarre. You know, that's so. I was going to say, that's interesting that you say it's interesting that you say that because now with COVID, they're popping up these like inflatable drive in movie screens in like Walmart parking lots and stuff and putting like new drive ins. Is that where they're spotting these UFOs? Uh, no, most of these cases are from the 60s wow. to, through the 80s with a mm-hmm. smattering of cases in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. Mm-hmm. There are se- several recent cases. Mm-hmm. The heyday was, of course, the heyday of the driving theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty excited about the comeback. I always loved driving theaters. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I think there are going to be more cases like this because it has been consistent since 1950 was the earliest case I could find. Mm. And just, you know, pretty, pretty active after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's another thing. I'm putting out another book next year too. A couple of them all lined up. Mm-hmm. I'm working on several cases. Uh, I am really eager for this subject to bust out into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I'm just a, you know, a bookkeeper from Reseda. It shouldn't be my responsibility to, mm-hmm. you know, get, alert the world that 
there's an extraterrestrial invasion. Mm -hmm. And that just, it boggles my mind that this isn't front page news every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a media cover up on this. We know that. And it is getting into the media. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, not number one, it's number two on the internet, according to some polls I've heard. Oh, wow. Do you think that we're slowly getting more and more information about it just to get us prepared for something big? Yeah, I do. And I think that's really one another ET agenda is announcing their presence. I think they initially went to the government and said, we want to disclose. And our government said, no, this is allegedly what happened at Edwards Air Force Base with Eisenhower in 1954 a very well-known case that seemed outlandish at first, even though there was multiple witnesses, and since then has only gotten more confirmation and led to a number of other incidents, apparently, where our government has had open official diplomatic relations with ETs Mm. and have not disclosed this. And so ETs went and did a grassroots movement and started showing themselves to person to person and sometimes to large groups, like at movie theaters. Or schoolyards. That's another thing we didn't even get into. Mm -hmm. They show themselves over playgrounds at schools. But uh, definitely like waves of sightings like Phoenix Lights or the Mexico City sightings, the Belgium wave, Gulf Breeze, like I mentioned. They have a publicity campaign. Mm -hmm. They are moving towards open official disclosure. Mm -hmm. And it's been very successful. ETs are the number one subject in movies. The top 10 grossing films, I think, are half alien. Mm-hmm. And science fiction, you know, very, very common trope. And it's all over advertising. It, it rules in video games. Yeah. It is everywhere within our, within our culture. Yeah. And I think that is you know, no coincidence. Yeah, it's interesting. Open official contact. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to have open official contact. You know, I think it's fascinating is I think there's been more disclosure than ever over the last few years, but people appear to be more skeptical than ever. It's like they've heard it so much. (laughs) They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like now, you know, they don't even believe anymore. Like they just, okay, we need something to land right in front of us or something. But the more stuff that comes out, people still are less believing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's a segment that is entrenching themselves, and they won't. They're just not going to believe it until they see it. Mm-hmm. And a photograph is not going to do it. And an eyewitness testimony and an, an alien implant, a piece of metal. No, they need the craft and the bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think the population at large needs that for this to make a ripple. Because although our Pentagon said, UFOs are real, and we have otherworldly materials. We have them. Mm-hmm. That should have gone off like an atom bomb mm-hmm. and it didn't mm-hmm. and their average person doesn't even know i'm, I'm like mm-hmm. what's going on this is disclosure in a major way i've been in this field for decades and we've never had that you know there's been high level government officials very consistently for years and years and we have presidents now who said they've seen ufos mm-hmm. not just in the u.s but other countries as well we have governors governor fife symington Governor Gilligan of Illinois. We have senators, Senator Russell of Virginia, um, representatives. We have all levels of government and military who said, yeah, this is real. In the U.S. and other countries. The Canadian defense minister, Paul Hellyer, he's a very high-level government official who said, yes, UFOs are real, flat out. 
Mm-hmm. So we have had disclosure and it's just not sticking. Yeah. All right, Preston, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message you can leave with the audience about UFOs or uh, ETs or going on board spaceships or anything you'd like to leave? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would like people to you know, leave people with is that this is a very serious subject. It's not like, oh, kind of interesting. Wow. You know, or it doesn't touch my life because I've never seen one. It does touch everyone's lives because if we could get this technology released that we have, we know this because of government whistleblowers, we have the crashed UFOs, we have the alien technology. It would solve the energy crisis, the economic crisis, and the environmental crisis, which are all things that we're really having a hard time with. So it's a very serious subject. I do think we will see disclosure. And once we see disclosure, I think open official contact is going to come right on the heels. Uh, It might come a lot sooner than people think. So that would be my message is get ready because it is coming. They're not going away. And I, for one, can't wait. I'm not afraid of them. I think for the most part, like I said, they are our friends. They're very much like us. Mm. And uh, I don't see... I don't find the evidence of you know hostile aliens taking over our planet at all persuasive. So I'm very encouraged about how all of this turns out in the end, but we'll see. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, Preston, thank you very much. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time this evening. I wish you massive success with your books. And uh, perhaps when your next book comes out, we can get together again and talk about it. Hey, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, thanks. I had blast talking with you. It's amazing. Thanks, bud. (laughs) All right. Have a good night. Sure. Well, thanks. You too. Bye-bye.